Like I said before, you've got me for the next couple weeks teaching. Uh, this morning, um, I don't have much time, to be honest with you. And I kind of did that purposely because a lot of what I'm talking about, a lot of the kids came up here and said, um, but I want to kind of uh, wrap that up a little bit and give you some um, clarity as what God's doing um, in places like Costa Rica and what God's doing in, in, in the way of opening our eyes um, to something different. And the passage we're going to be looking at today is in Luke. It's in Luke 10, if you want to go ahead and turn there. But this idea of opening our eyes, I was thinking about it. Um, and I was, you know, trying to wrap my brain around it. And I was thinking about, you know, my son, um, Abraham, and, and Jack, and my daughter. And when they were, when they were young, if you've got kids, you'll, you'll, uh, you can relate to this. When they're small and you're trying to direct their attention to something, it can be difficult. And then... You know, when, when you finally do feel like you've got their attention, sometimes they do the strangest things, and it's very frustrating. You're trying to show them something. And in, in this particular instance, it's July 4th, and I'm trying to show my son, you know, what's going on, like the fireworks, the music, the booms and the pals. You know, he's got his fingers in his ears, and he's looking at everything. He's kind of, you know, curious as to what's going on. And I'm trying to point at some specific things that are going on, like, you know, this and that. And what, you know, when kids are young, if you're pointing at something, what do they do? They stare at your finger. It's like, you know, and Abraham's just like looking at me. You know, I'm trying to point. I'm like, no, it's here. And he's like looking at the finger. I move my finger. And he's like looking over here and looking down here. And what you're trying to show him is what's in the distance. There's something bigger. There's something greater. There's something there that really that you're trying to direct their attention towards. And... This morning, you know, I'm, I'm going to be talking about the kind of the least, the last, and the lost. If you've been at River City for a while, you've heard um, that statement. And kind of our job, you know, in the last couple of weeks, um, Antley and Tom have talked about the kingdom of God. And Antley specifically talked about us being paradise makers. That we have to step into, in some way, God's purposes for us. You know, in Luke 9, it says that we, you know, we, we're supposed to deny everything. To pick up our crosses and follow Jesus. But those, that's kind of language. It's like, well, what does that mean? What does that look like in everyday life? And this morning, I'm not really going to be telling you what to do. I'm just going to be saying, we've got to open our eyes to something. And trips like Costa Rica do that so well. They open our eyes to, to God's global purpose of what he's doing and what, what should happen in life. And locally, there's things that we can do that God just opens our eyes. But a lot of times we have to, we have to look. We have to actually gaze. And that's the passage that, that we're going to be looking at. Um, and I'm going to be um, walking through and talking about. So let's look at Luke 10, 25 in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Probably not a good idea. Um, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus re responds or replies. How do you read it? And he answered, love, he must have hung out with Jesus before and listened to him because this is what he says. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, ding, 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 ding. You've got it. You've answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. And he wanted to justify himself, so he asked, Who is my neighbor? He says, Who's my neighbor? And Jesus, being Jesus and how he kind of rolls, he doesn't just kind of you know, give a one-word answer. He answers with a parable. And he says this, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. 
So they've got this guy that's going from one town to another, and he gets in a, a certain part of town and gets a good butt whooping. He's there on the side of the road about to die. And a priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man. He passed by on the other side. I love this because it's like, you know, I was listening to a talk by Louis Giglio, and he, he kind of paints this picture of, you know, you've got the pastor it's cruising by, and you can imagine what's going on. You've got the pastor that's kind of walking by, and there's a guy that's you know, half beaten onto the side of the, side of the road, and you know, Jesus is saying, look, the, the religious dude is missing it. He's concerned about you know, the 5 o'clock and the 7 o'clock service. He may whisper to the guy, hey, you know, we've got a service. We'll pray for you in the church at 5 to 7, but I've got something to take care of over here. So the pastor guy kind of walks by, and then... So too, a Levite, when he came to a place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, knock on the worship leaders, who the, that's who the Levites were in the Jewish community. The worship leader cruises by. Another, you know, religious church person cruises by. He's, got, he's too busy, he's buying guitar strings or strings for his lyre, something. And he's too busy to stop and help the guy that's, um, that's on the side of the road. He's too busy writing his follow-up to High and Holy. Um, but the, the worship leader misses it. But the, the, the crazy thing is, is what the, this picture that Jesus paints, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was and he saw him. I love this. He saw him. And if we look at that passage in Scripture and we see where he says he saw him, he was really looking at him in a way that's different than just kind of, because the other guy saw him too, but they didn't really see him. And he took pity on him. And he went over the top with the guy. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds. He didn't just pick him up and dust him off and see if he was okay. But he, he poured oil and wine on his wounds. And then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, took care of him, took him to the nicest place, I'm sure. The next day, he took out two silver coins, gave him to the innkeeper. He said, look after him. And he said, when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So he went over the top, man. So the guy that's outside the church, the guy that's, he's like, you know, he sees what's going on. I mean, it's interesting that Jesus is painting this picture saying, hey, you guys have, are, have kind of missed it in terms of what your job is as a pastor and as a worship leader. Look, you, you've got people that you don't even consider, you know, smart folks that are doing the things that I think are important. And that's what he says right here in, in verse 36. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. And the expert in the law responds. And he says, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. So here's a command. Go and do likewise. That's the way that we're supposed to roll. And this morning, I really am not trying to tell you that, you know, you need to, to you know, you, you guys are all blowing it and you guys need to go serve the poor. What I want to say this morning is that there's something amazing, some transition that happens when we reach out to the widows and the orphans. When we do, it's part of God's heartbeat. It's part of who God is. If you look all through Scripture, I mean, one of the most challenging verses that you'll, you'll look at in Scripture, you know, as far as reaching the widows and the orphans and looking out for them, is in James one twenty seven. It says, this is crazy to me. It says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. So, religion, or gathering for the purpose of church, gathering to do anything, this is what I, what I like. This is what I dig. If God wants to build a church, this is the kind of church that God's saying, I will get really excited if you center your whole church around something like this in the name of Jesus. If you do things like this, religion that our Father accepts as pure and faultless, it doesn't get any more plain than that. And then it says, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself 
from being polluted by the world. I mean, that's crazy and challenging. It's like, so, so we know that God's heart is for the widow, for the orphan, for the fatherless, for the down and out, the people who have nothing, the people that are broken, the people that are kind of, you know, have completely been left out. The people that are on the side of the road that are half dead, so to speak. And I know sometimes we, we begin to think, okay, well, my ministry is really to not the poor poor, but it's to the poor in spirit. And I, I agree, that's absolutely a part of, you know, restoration. We heard some of those stories this morning. It's crazy what God does. But that doesn't exclude us reaching out to the physically poor. And it's not about, God, God is clear It's not about a guilt thing. It's not about, okay, we've got a lot, they've got a little, we're supposed to give to them. And we've got to take the blinders off and not pass the guy that's hanging out on the side of the road that's holding up the sign and put the deal up. God is telling us that we need to engage with our eyes and see him and think about his story and think about what he's doing, but not because he wants us to feel guilty. Because he knows that it will change you. And hopefully you saw some of that this morning as you you heard high school students talk about it. It changes you when you engage in the purposes of God. It absolutely changes you. There's an interesting phenomenon that takes place um, when you go on a mission trip. And you don't have to do it in a, on a foreign mission trip. It just happens that that's what I've done for the past. I've, you know, I've gone on a, probably a dozen of these trips with mostly students. And the interesting thing about students is they're, um, they're the most cynical about religion. And if you look at statistics, this isn't me being in student ministries for seven years, but if you look at statistics, students are the most lost generation ever right now. And it's declining. They don't like God. They don't like religion. They have tons of questions, and they're really smart about the questions that they ask about who God is. And, and they're, they're, I mean, percentage-wise, they're the most lost. They're the ones that don't go to church. 16 to 30, I mean, is like a black hole. Students don't dig church and they don't dig religion and they don't dig Jesus and they have excuses that they'll throw at you and they'll say this is the primary one in seven years that I've heard if God if there is a God if there is a God I look at the world around me I look at the things that are going on the darkness the death the 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 brokenness and all the things that I see where is God in that where is God in the brokenness? And they'll throw out statistics to, to you too. And you work in college ministry for a while, they will get you. In the next five minutes, check some of these statistics out that, that, that they've rolled at me. In the next five minutes, in the United States of America, we'll consume 12,800 pounds of food in the next five minutes. While a billion people will only have one meal today, 760 million won't eat. In the next five minutes, we'll throw away good food. 1,200 pounds of food. Next five minutes. Add up an hour. It's a lot. In the next five minutes, 13 children will be abandoned. 80 children will become orphans. 88 children will starve to death in the next five minutes. 15 will become slaves in the next five minutes. Count an hour. Count two hours. Count five hours. Count a day. The numbers add up. And those are statistics. 26,000 children will die today of starvation and curable disease. So where's God in that? Where is he? Where is God in the brokenness? Where is he? And they launched some pretty good arguments against Christianity. Now with that question looming, check this out. This is what's even crazier to me. Is I've taken a dozen dozen mission trips. And every single time. I mean, somebody else could, could fight me on this. But for me personally, this is what's happened. I've taken a dozen of these. Every single time. 
something extraordinary has happened. And you would think something else would happen. You go there and you engage with the poor. You see them. You, you gaze at them. You can't help it. You're there for eight days. It's all you're doing. And you go into places like we went into one place down by this river. I mean, it is, you know, you think of Costa Rica, you think of beaches and surfing. We go to the poorest county in all of Costa Rica. And I mean, it is third world. You go in there, it's a dirt floor. There's animals inside the house and, you know, they're going to bathroom in the corner. There's spiders as big as your head and, you know, up in there. You don't want to go in there. In this particular house that I'm thinking about, there's a 90-year-old woman and a 92-year-old woman. They're sisters and they've lived there for quite some time. 90 and 92, and I'm thinking, and they live on this river that is toxic. I mean, it, it would glow in the dark if you were out there at night, which you wouldn't want to be. I mean, it's crazy. All the houses are lined up on the hill, and all of their sewage rolls into the river that they bathe in and that they cook their food in, the water. It's nuts. And I'm like, how do you, did, did, you know, I want to get in these women's lives and, and find out how they survived. I mean, it immediately, you walk into a place like that, you shut down the old, old factories. You don't want to smell anything. You got animals living inside the house. I mean, it breaks your heart. And you become desperate for God in those moments. I mean, something happens and you get tears flow down your face. And there's, there's just something crazy that happens in that moment. And what I would think would happen to students when they come back, I wouldn't think this happened. Students coming up and giving testimonies about how awesome Costa Rica is. I would think they'd come back and say, you've just confirmed everything that I've told you. You've just confirmed that there is no God. You know, I would think logically that I would say, I hate God. After seeing what I've seen, the brokenness and the desperation and the hurt and the pain that I've seen in Costa Rica, the poverty, the slavery, the hurt, I hate God. That's what you would think would happen. That's what you would think would happen. But that doesn't happen 100% of the time, at least on my trips. Kids come back closer to God than they've ever been. Closer to God than they've ever been. They want to change their lives. They want to change their majors. They want to change everything about what they're doing. Sometimes it's misdirected because they're crazy. They don't even know what to do. Because for a glimpse of their life, they've stepped into a purpose of God that is God's heartbeat. I mean, we can look all through Scripture. God is all about the widows and the orphans. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times it's mentioned in Scripture. And like I said, it's not about feeling guilty. It's something that I feel like, man, I, I miss out on. And I go to all these trips. And I'm like, man, I've got to remember that this is part of worship. You think you get excited in a great worship service. You step into the heartbeat of God in being part of the redemption and rescue of a widow, of an orphan, of a down and out, of a fatherless kid. It will absolutely change you. And it's the crazy thing about God is that we would think the opposite. We would think you come back with more questions, but you end up having these kids that their lives are changed. Students, their lives are changed. The people that go on these trips, ask the people that work at Street Corner. They keep going back, they keep going back, they keep going back, and they keep telling you. And they, and they see the brokenness in those neighborhoods. You would think you'd come back with more questions about who God is. But instead, miraculously, God affirms who he is. Because we become so desperate in those situations. There's nothing that we can do. And in those moments, we get to get a glimpse of rescue and redemption. For those two old ladies, all we could do is pray for them. That's all we could do. I mean, I wanted to get, you know, the Coast Guard to airlift everybody on the river out of there. Because I was like, holy, this is crazy how people are living. But all we could do is pray for them. Go buy food probably enough for a couple of days. Clean water for them to have, you know, cook and clean stuff for a couple of days. And then trust that God's going to take care of them. And in those moments, we realize, man, we are desperate for God. 
And in those moments, it changes us. It changes us. One of the things that, that it does when you, uh, when you step into these purposes of, of physically engaging and seeing the poor and the needy is it reflects the gospel. It a- absolutely, generosity in that way reflects the gospel. Because Peter says, because you've been given a lot, because you've been given a gift, then we should just return it. We should be reflecting what the gospel is. When we take part in rescue and redemption, just a, 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 a scratch of it, I mean, and we're just scratching the surface as a church with Street Corner and with Hollybrook and some of the other ministries. But when you do, it reflects the gospel because God has poured out his grace on us because he's given us everything. We pour out and we reflect the gospel. You know, an example of this is just a picture of the gospel. My wife was riding around. I think it was at Riverside that you were riding around. No. Beaches somewhere down at the beaches. Um, she was riding around and it was at night and she saw some, some person digging in the dumpster. It was like a six foot two transvestite. I'm not going to tell you what a transvestite is. If you don't know, most of you probably do. You can look it up, but be careful. Um, <laughs> digging in the trash, you know, with like a banana yellow, you know, dress on just, you know, not a pretty picture. And in her heart, she's saying, and she doesn't mind me saying this, I hope, um, She's thinking, this is disgusting. I mean, I, I want to avert my eyes. I want to, you know, I don't want to look at what's going on. Just digging through the trash, looking for a meal. Just all, all kinds of messed up. And she said in that moment, God whispered to her and says this. And this is just like, ah, so good. God says, that was you when I found you. That was you. And as I love you, I love them. I mean, that is a picture of the gospel. When we engage in people, we, we, we think we look at people a certain way and God doesn't. He's looking at all of us going, y'all are all jacked up. You are all messed up. And I have rescued and redeemed a whole lot of you for the purposes of God. And I want you to be reflectors of the gospel by pouring out to the needy, by pouring out to the least of the least of the least. And the other thing that, it does when we engage with the poor, is it absolutely carries the gospel. You're thinking, okay, how does it actually, you know, how do people come to know Jesus as a process of giving to the poor? You know, I'm, I'm all about social justice, but, you know, there's got to be, at some point, somebody needs to go through the four spiritual laws and present the gospel to somebody so that they can get saved, pull their ticket, and go to heaven, right? So how does that work? Does it really do anything? Well, I absolutely believe that it carries the gospel. You know, when we look at that verse, even on here on our little community group thing, Acts 42, 47, an interesting thing about them is the way that they acted is they were extraordinarily generous. And it says in that passage that they were having favor with all people, meaning the surrounding people around them were all looking at them thinking, I like what's going on. There's something special about that community that's amazing. And man, you talk about opportunity to, to, to preach the gospel. It's right there. And I'll give you one example in, in my close here. Um, there's a church. We, as we were going on our mission trip, we all read um, a book called Radical by David Platt. I think it's in the bookstore. It might even be on sale. Um, but it's an amazing book. I don't know if this, this story's in there, but I heard David Platt speak and talk about this. He was just getting totally riled up about the purposes of God and reaching out to the widows and the orphans in his town. 
And so he went to the Department of Children and Family Services and he asks some lady that's working there, he says, how many exactly, how many kids are orphaned that do not have foster homes? I, I just want to know. I want to know what the figure is. And she said, what for? And he said, don't worry about it. I just, I really want to know. I feel like I need to know what's going on in my city, in my county. So she tells him it's in the hundreds. And she's like, yeah, and it always has been. It's always been this many. We've always had a problem. That's just the way that it is. And he says, okay. So he holds a, like a Sunday night service or a meeting in his church and throws out this challenge to his church. And he says, look, we've got, this is the problem in our, this is, this is what's going on in our city, in our county. And I would love to make a dent in this as a church. I would love to make a dent in this. So what we're going to do is if you're interested in becoming a foster parent to some of these children in our county, come sign up. We'll talk about it. We'll, we'll work through it together as a church family on how we're going to bear the burdens of our county and rescue some widows and orphans and represent redemption and rescue in our county. And you know what happened? 100% of the kids that didn't have foster families had foster families just from one church. All of them, every single one of them, they had hundreds of foster families come forward and say, we're gonna do this thing. We're gonna do this thing. And do you think the surrounding community outside the church, the unchurched and the de-church that don't like church, I mean, they couldn't say anything about that. I mean, they, they may not like it, but they're thinking, okay, I don't go to church, but they have just absolutely rescued a whole lot of kids in our city, not just with homes, but with, with good homes. And do you think that carries the gospel? It absolutely does. It absolutely does. Jeremiah twenty two sixteen says this, it says he defended the cause of the poor and the needy. And so all went well. Is this not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. To know God is to look in the eyes of poverty, to look in the eyes of the down and out, and to engage and gaze and not just pass by. And it's not a guilt thing, but God's saying, hey, if you connect with that, I'm telling you, you're going to get fired up because that's what fires me up. I get excited about rescue and redemption. When you ask all those big questions about what's God's plan for all this hurt, He's saying back to you and me that we're the plan for God's rescue and redemption. Let's all stand.